show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and it's gone right to my head. Wherever I may roam, on land or sea or foam, you can always hear me sing this song. Show me the way to go home. Hello. And welcome to the virtual pub for some drinks trivia and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Leary and I'm joined by my drinking buddy Tim. Tim, what the hell is going on? I don't know, but it was really freaky and I don't like it and please don't ever do it again. <laughs> uh, shan't. <laughs> so, I mean, I do know what's going on. So, um, a few weeks ago, when you were over at my gaff, I gave mm-hmm. you a little London A to Z of pub names, um, and you largely just sat there drinking and nodding. So um, it was great. <laughs> we thought <laughs> thought I'd return the favour and instead say, "Why don't you take me through uh, your your kind of session of pub names?" And so I'm I I've no idea what the content is. So I'm just drinking a drink that I want to drink, which is you know what you normally do. Um, <laughs> So we very much switched roles for this episode. <laughs> I'm because I've been doing like travels around Europe lately, and obviously I've had a couple of Belgian beers. I've continued with the Belgian theme, and I'm drinking a Bacchus Creek beer, delicious cherry beer, um, oh, which yum, yum, I yum. presume will have nothing to do with what you're going to tell me. But uh, that's now I'm just going to drink it and listen to you. So over to you. Oh, nice. Yeah, I didn't do Europe. <laughs> um, so you took us on a lovely tour of London pubs, which is delightful. Uh, and the kind of common sense slash predictable thing would be for me to do Welsh pubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did start looking into it, but obviously there was a lot of crossovers. A lot of them, you know, a lot of the, like some of the London ones you talked about, there's a lot of influence on kind of the royal families and rich history, etc. And yeah, mm-hmm. there was a lot of kind of royal pubs and... We were all yours just called the Rugby Club, and then you were like, I can't make an episode out of that. Yeah, they're all just the workies. <laughs> um, so I thought I'd travel further afield, and I'm going to take us to America. Mm-hmm. And I've just looked into some crazy bar names and stuff, because obviously they haven't got royal family there, um, so you don't get, you know, a lot of Queen Vicks, etc., they're a little bit, well, I say a little bit, a lot more creative when they come to their bar names. Um, it tends to be more they name them to kind of stand out and attract customers rather than being quite traditional. Um, however, there are some kind of very common bar names. Uh, I did thankfully find a blogger who had done the dirty work of kind of listing the most common bar names in America for me. <laughs> um, you've been to America a few times yes. and I'm sure you were drinking yes. while you were there. Would you like to hazard a guess at some of the most popular ones? So I've got a list of I think the top 10. You don't have to get oh. all 10 obviously but if you uh, would like to have a guess. I reckon they've got some patriotic ones like um, the Stars and Stripes or mm. the flag and you know there'll be something flag themed in there I'm sure. Um, I think uh, a, lo- a lot more just kind of descriptive. The America. Mm, no, it's like. <laughs> Is the, there one called the t- Run Her Up the Pole? <laughs> <laughs> the, 
There, okay, I, I, I maybe pitched this wrong. The ones okay. I'm going to talk about are the crazy creative ones that I found. Okay. But these ones are just the run of the mill, like, we can't be asked to name this place, so let's just call it essentially what it is. Oh, I bet, <laughs> I bet one of the top ones is just something like the Irish pub. Because anything um, that's like a pub over there, they just call an Irish pub. Not far off. Um, and the top two are the poorhouse and the bar. Mm. <laughs> like really boring. Um, that's closely followed in third place by the office. Wow. And then in fourth spot is obviously people who have thought they're being creative, but obviously everyone else has had the idea to call their bar on the rocks. Um, you'll be pleased to hear <laughs> in fifth place is Tiki Bar. Loads of Tiki Bars in America. Still, <clears throat> if you do need to know why we are throwing shade at that, we have a podcast not so long ago where we read them to filth. <laughs> I like that you think it was not so long ago. I think it was about two years ago. Was it? Oh, it's all the same for me. <laughs> Could have been last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we did. We spent the whole episode complaining about it. So if you feel like doing that, go enjoy. <laughs> um, I'll quickly go through the other ones. The other popular ones are Shooters, Moose Lodge, The Pub, The Spot, R Bar. No idea why that's so popular, R Bar, as in just the letter R. Um, the Tavern and Corner Bar. So those yeah. were the top ten. Really boring. Pretty close with the Irish pub, wasn't I? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay. But it's not going to be a fun episode if I talk about those. No. <laughs> so I went out of my way to find some of the kind of crazy names, the ones with interesting backstories, and I'm just going to take you through them all. So strap in. Got your beer? You yeah. haven't stopped sipping, to be fair. <laughs> nice to see. <laughs> I, this is like holiday for me. I'm like, yeah, sure. I haven't even got any notes. It's great. I'm just going to drink this cherry <laughs> beer. Crack on. All right. Start off then. Atomic Liquors is our first. Mm -hmm. So the name came about in the 50s. <laughs> oh, you slag. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just sounds like a lesbian punk band. <laughs> I know. I knew. I could tell by the way you almost spat your drink out. <laughs> Atomic Liquors. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's not the name of my next sex tape. It mm -hmm. is the name of a bar in Vegas. Of course, it could, probably could be like a strip bar. Mm -hmm. It's not a strip bar. Um, so it's um, the name came about in the 50s. Um, customers used to go up onto the roof of the bar and watch the atomic bombs go off at the Nevada test site. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, they just jump on the roof and watch them like fireworks. So that's the atomic side of it. Uh, as for liquors, so under the prior ownership, it was a bar and package liquor store. Um, people still wander in there now thinking it's a liquor store all the time. Um, the, it has the seventh liquor license in all of Las Vegas. The six prior to it was casinos, so it technically makes it the oldest bar in the city. Wow. Um, but also the owners, I thought it was quite nice. They've somehow, I don't, it didn't really talk about what they've done, but they have partnered with the National Atomic Testing Museum. Like maybe they just sell beer in the gift shop. Mm. We know... We've been known to buy beer from gift shops. So. Love, a gift, love a gift shop beer. That's that's a reference to the Hogarth episode, everyone. <laughs> um, so our next one is Ray's Happy Birthday Bar. This one is in Philadelphia. Uh, it used to just be called Ray's Bar. 
Uh, but the owner, called Ray, was quite eccentric. And when people used to walk through the door, instead of just saying hello, he'd sing happy birthday to them. Like, regardless if, if it was their birthday or not, that's what he did. Um, when he passed away in 1997, they changed the name to honour him to Ray's Happy Birthday Bar. They do still make a massive fuss when it's your birthday. Uh, to this current day, you're entitled to a free shot of vodka. You get a little cup with a candle in it next to it. And there's a bar that the bell tenders ring. They all start singing. They take your picture with a big hat and the candle and the shot. And they put it on Facebook. They post hundreds of them every year. Raise happy birthday bar. Should we spreadsheet it or do you not want the fuss? Listen, if you're going to, if any more of these are going to be in Las Vegas, nothing's going on the spreadsheet. <laughs> hey, that wasn't yeah. Vegas. That's Philadelphia. Oh, I thought we were still in Vegas. No, Philadelphia. <sighs> okay. Um, no. Um, still, that's no? still a no from me. No. Sure. Okay, yeah. fine. Uh, our I'm next in charge one... of the spreadsheet this episode. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, New York is our next one, so maybe we'll go to this one. There's a okay. few from New York now. So this one, uh, it's called Tin and Lint. So Tin and Lint, Tin and Lint. Um, <laughs> I wanted this to be a good story because it sounds like it might have some nice kind of history of like workmen or industrial. Nope. <laughs> so the owner is a chap called Jim. He said, I bought the business from the guys who originally owned it. We were all really high one night and just came up with the name. I'd like to tell you it was something more romantic than that, but it really wasn't. He caveats that with, you've got to remember, this was 1969 and everyone was smoking pot and tripping. The guys that owned it came from Vermont. They were just really high and the name popped out. I don't even remember who came up with the name. It was so long ago, but it stayed. So, Tin and Lint in New York. Okay. <laughs> you Staying can, you in New York. Don't look at me like, is that one going on the spreadsheet? You know, I'll tell it's you already some, on the spreadsheet. I will, I will tell you when something's <laughs> going on the spreadsheet. Okay. There are, I think there are going to be a few. This one okay. might not be. Uh, it's got a nice story. But <laughs> it's got a nice story, but it won't make it to the list. Um, mm. Hot Burge. So this is in Brooklyn. Hot Burge. Um... This is owned by a guy called Frank Moe. The name comes from a barbecue restaurant that used to be on one of the avenues a few blocks away from the bar. So the owner of that restaurant had these murals painted on lots of the walls and they were kind of cryptic. They'd say things like, no frying, no fat, no oil, hot bird. Uh, <laughs> there'd never be an address on it either. It would always just be like four blocks back. So I guess it was like early guerrilla marketing, but a bit rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> so the barbecue place has actually been gone for 20 years, but those murals remained. Um, and a lot of the new people in the neighborhood, they've kind of found them iconic now because they're just everywhere and there's no barbecue joint anymore. <laughs> um, so the bar, Hot Bird, um, it used to be an old gas station. And one of those murals was just right behind it and all it said was hot bird. So when you looked at the bar, it just almost was like its own big sign. So they obviously decided to keep that. But sadly, three years ago, the owner of the building where it was had it repainted. Uh, and the bar owner went to speak to her because he was like, why have you done that? <laughs> uh, but it turns out she had rented that wall for the sign, but the owner of the restaurant never paid it, paid her for it. And so she used to hate looking at it. <laughs> so she was like, I'm finally going to do it and paint over it. I don't want to look at it anymore. 
mm. which I think is a bit rubbish because obviously the bar's been named after it. And yeah. If I was her, I would have spoken to the bar owner. Next, we have the Tipsy Cow in Madison. Uh, again, disappointingly, this one was basically a group of guys who bought a bar, couldn't think of a name. Uh, they were getting more and more drunk trying to think of names, and they were going through different themes and different ideas, and they got to animal names, and they got talking about how when they were kids they used to go cow tipping as like a pastime, which is really dangerous for cows, by the way. Um, and that was it. They just caught, yep, yeah, tipsy cow. That'll work. Done. Um, so when a lot of people go in there and ask, like, wait, wh- why is it called the tipsy cow? They then have to talk about cow mm-hmm. tipping. <laughs> and they say it was fun. It was something to do. That's not going on the spreadsheet. <laughs> no, it's not. But I, <laughs> but I do understand that um, people living in certain areas may not have had a local opera house to keep them entertained. That is such a stereotypical Tim read. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm I'm still channeling the sort of the London A to Z vibe. You know, <laughs> thinking about the histories involved in those. None of them mentioned cow tipping. <laughs> no, we're in America now, it's different. <laughs> mm-hmm. sure we're gonna is. talk about the fat angel in San Francisco. Oh, okay. Um, so this one, there were two chaps that had bought the bar and they had a plan that they were going to open a traditional Chinese hand-pulled noodle shop. Uh, so one of the owners knew of a noodle master in the town of Taishan who he visited on his yearly trips to China. So they decided, yeah, we're going to open this place. He'd be the noodle chef. So they went to China and started kind of courting him to come back and open up shop. Um, it was looking good. He was completely up for it. Um, and after three trips, an immigration attorney and a really bad visa interview, he was denied his golden ticket. So they had to come back empty handed. They were feeling very sad and trying to come up with a plan B on the way back. They were in the airport and they just saw a massive sign being taken down um, and it was causing like traffic to clog up. Um, the route to the airport, they were panicking that they were going to miss their flight and they said it just feels like it's an epiphany, this massive sign is being taken down and it just said Fat Angel in Chinese, so they were like whatever we do with the place, we'll call it the Fat Angel, and so that what's what's the, the, the beer and wine bar, it's called the Fat Angel I do have a follow up question um, do mm-hmm. you hand pull your noodles? Depends if Chris is away Mm. Mm. Next, <laughs> <laughs> Robert's Western World is next. Uh-huh. Um, so, have you heard of this one? You said that. This of, is where you? the robots became sentient and um, then killed everyone. Mm, sure. <laughs> no. no. I mistook it for something else. <laughs> no, there's a bar in Nashville. Okay. Uh, so, a chap called Robert Wayne Moore, at one time or another, has owned or operated every single one of the honky-tonks on the 400 block of the historic district of Lower Broadway. In the early 90s, he was the owner and operator of Tootsie's Orchard Lounge, which was self-proclaimed world-famous number one honky-tonk in the world, but it was in time of depression and crime downtown 
he kind of fell out of love with it. He didn't want to do it anymore. So he sold Tootsie's and he moved three doors down to what he called the Rhinestone Western Wear. And he just started selling clothes. Uh, he said, I'm done with the honky-tonk business. He was selling shirts, belts, hats, saddles, boots. Shop was full of them. But for some reason, slowly, these all started to disappear. And then booths appeared into the shop. And then he started selling beer. And then he started doing live music. And all of a sudden, it's a bar. <laughs> and then it was renamed Robert's Bar. And then it became Robert's Room. Then it was renamed Three Doors Down, because obviously it was Three Doors Down from Tootsie's. And then finally, he settled on the name Robert's Western World. The current owner bought it in 1999 and kept the name. He said everything was really rough around the edges. It was really old fashioned and he just instantly fell in love with it and kept the name. Robert's Western World. Not full of robots, sorry. <laughs> it, hasn't, it hasn't made the spreadsheet then, Braid. No, um, the fainting goat is next. Oh, okay. This is, well, this is a contender. Uh, this could be a contender. Um, oh. I I liked it because of the name, but um, right, let's okay. see. Washington DC, the mm -hmm. fainting goat. It's purely named after one of the owners. It's his nickname. Um, he's very nervous when he tries to chat people up and just turns into what his friend dubbed a fainting goat. Um, customers ask about it frequently and he is quite um, confident chatting to people in general. It's just when he's trying to chat people up, he gets a bit nervous. Mm -hmm. So he'll openly kind of make fun of himself and say, I'm not very good at kind of pick up lines and I turn into a fainting goat when I'm trying to pick up people. And my friends and co-owners wanted to call the bar the fainting goat because that's my nickname. So to be clear, there is no goat. There is no goat. It's but not on the spreadsheet. Spoiler. The one I think that's going to go on the spreadsheet, mm -hmm. it might contain a goat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Next we have the 95 slide. Uh, so there's one celebrated event in the Seattle Mariners history. So I think you're going to already be out when I tell you the Seattle Mariners are a baseball team. Uh, sure, they, yeah. <laughs> they've had losing seasons in 26 of the last 38 years. Not great. But in 1995, they won the division championship. They beat the Yankees. Um, so they decided that 95 was the name of their bar. And the slide is in reference to um, one of the players, Ken Griffey Jr. He slid into the home plate in the 11th inning to clinch the win. Uh, every fan knows it as like the 95 slide. You know, they instantly know the name. I did not have a clue, and that's why I had to read into it. But um, I know yeah. who Ken Griffey Jr. is because he was. Do on you? He was on an episode of The Simpsons. Ah, did they reference the slide? Um, it, well, no, but it was an episode all about baseball, and he was in it. Ah. Hmm. Also, I have spent a lot of time in Seattle, so I may have been there. Hmm. I I did not expect you to be as receptive to that one because it was sport well i'm do you know what i'm only just thinking that i know that there's a lot of good beer in seattle having spent time there it was mm. very much kind of home to craft movements and stuff and you know when you said you've been there the first thing that popped into my mind was um going to this waterfront bar in seattle and mm. um telling the bar person that i was a direct descendant of shakespeare so that they would give me free beer, and they did. 
<laughs> oh my god. So gullible, bless them. Bless them indeed. <laughs> so Shakespeare, I might try Shakespeare that. has no direct descendants, by the way. So do try that do, one out. Do you think I I could get away with it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, our next one is back in San Francisco, Muriel's Trophy Room. So in 1933, a little-known American professional tennis player called John Muriel beat uh, Sports of Hall famer Walter Martin to win the Canadian Open. Mm-hmm. He didn't win another major tennis tournament after that, but he did get a lot of trophies and a lot of time on the court. And apparently, this is the story, when he retired, he simply needed somewhere to put all his trophies. Um, He opened a dive bar in San Francisco in 1959, um, filled it with his trophies, and it became really popular. So its fair share of famous regulars, including Janis Joplin and Joe Strummer from The Clash. Um, When Murillo passed away in the 90s, um, the place was bought and redone, but all the tennis trophies have stayed there. And they called it Muriel's Trophy Room. Hmm. So if you want to go and look at some trophies, I wonder, oh, I wonder if they'd let us drink out of the trophy. I mean, that's what you'd want, really, isn't it? All, yeah. of the, all of the drinking receptacles should be trophies. Do you know what? Yeah. Even that's a good idea for a bar anyway, isn't it? Yeah, the trophy room. You could ask, like, what do you want your award to be? Mm. And then when you order your drink, you could be like, oh, can I get... You'd be like, can I get an IPA um, and the award for um, funniest person in the bar? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and you get this kind of like silver trophy and they go, congratulations on being the funniest person in the bar. You say, thank you very much. You can receive your trophy and then you die and you drink. What a good they idea is that for a bar? It. They should announce it and everyone has to cheer you. Yeah. Ring a bell. Yeah, done spreadsheet in that. That business idea is going on the spreadsheet. That's the only thing to come out of this episode so far. (laughs) All right, don't throw that much shade in my episode. (laughs) You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. (laughs) I mean, you're going to be really mad about the next one. Okay. (laughs) So, um, the Monkey Farm Cafe. Did you say Monkey Farm? The Monkey Farm Cafe. Okay. Are these monkeys um, working on a farm? Like in sort of like a lovely organic farming way? Let's see. Okay. Let's talk about the monkey farm. Alright. Uh, so why is it called the monkey farm? It was a nickname um, for a pub. It used to be called the Saybrook Inn because it's in a place called Old Saybrook in Connecticut. Um, the Saybrook Inn was run very haphazardly. And in the late 50s and early 60s, the legend goes that somebody mentioned that this place is nothing but a monkey farm. Um, so that's the name that stuck. <laughs> it, okay, so just... It's just to clarify again, there are no monkeys. There are no monkeys. And I knew you'd be no monkeys in your monkey bar. No goats in your goat bar. Um, what is this marketing bullshit you're serving me today? <laughs> it's America, Tim. It's America. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was called the Saybrook Inn for a very long time, but it was taken over in 1968 and the new owners decided to actually solidify the nickname and, and gave it the trading name of the Monkey Farm Cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, the son of the owner, Harry, David Corning, he, he says, there are lots of different versions of the story, but basically the previous owner was a bit of a drinker. He would often hand someone the keys saying that he was going to the bank and show up again three days later. Do you know what? I have worked in a bar like that. 
I probably should name names, but it was when I was at university. I worked in a bar and it was a small bar. There weren't many of us there. And mm. I, I had keys to open up um, when I did kind of early, early shifts um, at, at the weekend and stuff. And one day the bar manager just kind of like disappeared, um, <laughs> disappeared for about three weeks. And I just like the bar only opened when I had some free time and went in and opened it up. I basically just ran a bar by myself for a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> it didn't end well. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I had some fun. <laughs> Should have renamed it. Bought some trophies. Should have. Should have renamed it. <laughs> um, right, we're off to Texas next. Mm-hmm. Houston, Texas. The bar is called The Pastry War. Pastry War? The Pastry War. Okay, I'm going to think about what side I'm going to take on this. Okay. It's named after an 1838 conflict when a French bakery was destroyed in Mexico City by Mexican officials. Mm. When Mexico refused France's requests for compensation, the disagreement escalated into a short military conflict between the two countries. So the owner of this bar, Bobby Hegel, he'd been reading a lot about Mexican history around the time that he bought the, bought the bar and decided to call it the Pastry War. Mm. Uh, the general manager of the bar, he says, we're all very well versed in the history of the pastry war since people ask at least five times every shift about why is it called the pastry war. He said, we also get a lot of inquiries about our pastries. (laughs) We don't sell pastries. Um, You also get some clever customers who are in on the joke and get to the bar and ask for a dozen. Uh, They also get several calls every week asking if they accept reservations for late night dessert. (laughs) But they're just a bar. Again, I'm I'm fairly outraged that in the (laughs) same way there being no goats and no monkeys, there's no pastry uh, at the pastry wars. But uh, I will I will say I'm team puff. Team puff. All right. I'm team puff. Team puff. (laughs) How about you? Um... I'm I'm team the monkeys that should be at the monkey cafe. Okay. <laughs> it's not a pastry as far as I know, but sure. I know, I'm just liking the idea of pastries over um monkeys overrunning a pastry cafe. Okay. I throw my shoe at you. <laughs> the next one is definitely not going on the spreadsheet. Okay. <laughs> just it's I'll in... just I'll just make sure there's still room for something to not go on there. Um, the Minneapolis bar called Psycho Susie's Motor Lounge and Tiki Garden. Oh God, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot. It sounds maximalist. So, <laughs> the owner Leslie Bock has got a few different places, um, namely Saint Sabrina's, which is a tattoo shop, Donny Duke's Zombie Den, Undead Frank's Zombie Bites, and Betty Danger's Country Club. Basically, she's created this fictitious, dysfunctional family. They've each got their own personas and backstories. Mm-hmm. And according to her, Psycho Susie is the second oldest sister. She went on vacation with her family and got shipwrecked, went insane. And then when she came back to Minneapolis, she decided to open a tiki bar where people with tattoos could drink and eat pizza. That is a yeah. great old big cultural melange there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. I don't ever want to go to any of her bars. <laughs> okay, we're, we're potentially entering spreadsheet area now. Okay, well, let me be the judge of that. 
<laughs> Quick and easy one next. Mm-hmm. Texas. Austin. It's a bar called the Grackle. So the Grackle is a bird that's native to the area. Much like crows or ravens. They're very inquisitive. They're smart. But also a bit of a nuisance. And can be quite noisy. Um, so the guys that bought this bar, when they were sitting in the newly kind of, well, not newly renovated, they just got the keys, they were sitting there trying to make a name. The patio was covered with these grackles who were just shouting at them while they were trying to think of bar names. And so they were like, yep, it's obviously owned by these guys, so we'll call it the grackle. Mm-hmm. I know you love a crow and a raven. I do, I'm a big Corvid fan. I am a big mm-hmm. Corvid fan. I feel like I'd need some active involvement. Of some like guaranteed active involvement from them, like okay. they would serve me the drink, or I'd get to like have one on my shoulder while I drank, something like that. Okay, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. <laughs> New Orleans. Yeah. We're in New Orleans. We're at Snake and Jake's Christmas Club Lounge. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the owner, a guy called Dave, he said, when my partner and I bought the property many many years ago. It was an existing bar called Snake and Jake's and they had a sign up, S&J. We also, when we were renovating the bar, found a sign from the previous name, which was the Christmas Lounge. It was named after the man called Sam Christmas that owned it. Um, as well as it being his name, they kind of amped up the Christmasness and had Christmas lights in there all year round. Um, but he said, I didn't actually find that out for years until he was riding down the street one day and some guy went there goes Sam Christmas and he goes what and so they told him about the story about the Christmas Club Lounge um, so they just thought we'll smash the two together and create Snake and Jake's Christmas Club Lounge which obviously rolls off the tongue and the, yeah there it's a Christmas bar <laughs> mm. and you think you think that's a contender do you no I don't okay. I think the next one is okay <laughs> <laughs> the bar of the gods uh is in Portland. Mm-hmm. Co-owner Kip Johnson explains, before we named it the Bar of the Gods, it was a hardcore gay club called The Crow. It was very run down, hole in the wall kind of place. There was not a single window except for a tiny circular window in the front door. Uh, the I think sex we all know what that's used for. <laughs> yeah, got to cl- be, be careful describing um, a hardcore gay club as you call it as being holding the wall. <laughs> <laughs> we have another. Well, the hardcore um, the hardcore gay club closed in 1996 uh, when they bought it. Um, he he didn't really know what to call it. He knew the history of it. He knew it was called the Crow, and he was just trying to think of something that was a kind of the polar opposite to the crow he said i want to make it sound romantic and outlandish um but also bar of the gods is a reference to bridge of the gods which runs between washington and oregon they did however keep a lot of the decor um from the sex club um there were lots of statues of kind of made to look like greek gods but they're just guys wrestling naked or doing naughty things to each other so they hang out all behind the bar which as an is an ode to the crow. Mm-hmm. So is that enough? Yeah, yeah, sure. We can put that <laughs> one on the spreadsheet, but to be honest, I think I'd rather have gone to the crow. <laughs> I would not be going to the crow with you. <laughs> oh, come on, expand your horizons. 
I'll, I'll ask Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Who's been? <laughs> we've, already, we've both been already. Okay, fine. <laughs> Brought you back a fridge um... magnet, as I recall. <laughs> oh, that's where that's from. Yeah. Um, Death and Co. is the next one. It's in New York. Uh, the owner is a chap called Ravi De Rossi. So during, Prohibi- during Prohibition, they would say, if you're drinking, you're keeping company with death. You were living in the shadow of it. Uh, when he bought the pub, he knew he wanted to kind of serve pre-prohibition cocktails. Um, that was the vision, but they still didn't have a name. But they'd gone to like a vintage market and had found um, like an old plaque that had a kind of prohibition era government pro- propaganda printed on it. And it was a story called The Devil's Toboggan Slide that kind of tells of this guy that's just drinking, going down a slippery slope. He's going through the whorehouses and the bar and drinking and the devil's got him. And at the bottom, it just says death and company. So when they saw that in the vintage market, they were like, yep, that's the name of the bar, death and company. (laughs) I mean, look, I do like some Memento Mori, but I like it more gothic than religious judgment. So I'm not putting it on. Okay, fine. This one, I, the next one I included just for me. Uh, it's in Arizona and it's called the Surly Wench Pub. <laughs> it's owned by two women, Kate and Steph. Steph had worked in bars most of her life and had been kind of accustomed to just being called a wench. And yeah, aside from that, they said there's no story. It just felt right. <laughs> the Surly Wench Pub. So I'm putting that on the spreadsheet because I want to go there. Okay. Uh, the Hop Sing Laundromat. Um, so are you familiar with the TV show Bonanza? Mm-hmm. Yes. So Hop Sing it's is kind a of character. Like a wild, it's kind of like a Wild West thing, right? Uh, I don't know. Oh, okay. I've well, in it. that case, I will inform you it was kind of like a Wild West thing. <laughs> well, there's a character on there called Hop Sing. Mm-hmm. And on the show, every time he got into an argument with the family there that he worked for, the Cartwright family... He'd threatened to quit and move to Virginia City in Nevada to open a laundromat with his cousin. He just wanted to be at a place where he was no longer working for someone. But he never did get to do that because the show actually got cancelled. Um, so the owner the owner of this bar was a big fan of the show and just wanted for Hopsing to create the Hopsing laundromat. He wanted to open it for him. So that's that one. Uh, the Jack Saloon in Massachusetts, not Massachusetts, where is it? MT. I've written the state MT. I can't remember where that is. I mean, if it's not Massachusetts, it would be Montana. I thought it that was is MN. Montana. Is I it? thought Montana is MT. Okay. I thought it was Massachusetts. Okay. Montana, the Jack Saloon. Um, this place is owned by a husband and wife. It was originally called the Lumberjack. Uh, it was built in 1974 by Don and Mary Ellen Babcock. Don was a lumberjack and the place was built by lumberjacks. Um, It was built for the logging camps near there because the nearest town is 17 miles away. Uh, The bar itself is a massive log that's been carved out uh, to facilitate the sinks and the shelves. Mm -hmm. Um, That massive log was laid on the foundation of the building and then the... Stop laughing at massive log. (laughs) Keep saying it. It was laid on the foundation, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the building, which is made from an unfinished red cedar, um, was built around it. Um, 
originally it was just that building with the bar and um, the lumberjacks who used to go to drink there got fed up of having nowhere to sit so they carved chairs and stools so they've got lovely carved chairs and stools um it seems to just keep changing its name all the time though so it was bought so obviously i said it was called the lumberjack but it was bought in the early 90s and called the jack saloon it was then sold again and renamed the lumberjack then in 2013 it was bought again and renamed the jack saloon so it just keeps switching back and forth so it's currently called the jack saloon but it is up for sale <laughs> so if anyone wants to buy it and call it the lumberjack or whatever hell you want to not call it get involved i love the sound of that place though mm -hmm. i'd like that one to be on the spreadsheet if it's full of sexy lumberjacks and logs <laughs> only if we can buy it and rename it the massive log <laughs> okay deal <laughs> um back to new york for the next one um i don't know how to pronounce this i want to be not immature and say it's goanus but it might be goanus 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 is it is it like a sort of adult version of go ape well, like it's, instead of it's swing, not. instead of swinging through the forest, you well, you just go anus. <laughs> go anus. Let's go with go anus. Yeah, sure. So it's called the Go Anus Yacht Club. Mm -hmm. uh, so the owner of the Go Anus Yacht Club was one of the first TV chefs from Brooklyn. His name's Alan Harding. He came up with the name. It's tongue in cheek because um, it's named after the Go Anus Canal which was just disgusting, <laughs> like gross. Oh, you're telling me. <laughs> so yeah, it's tongue in cheek because obviously nobody's going to be uh, sailing that. Um, one of the funny things that happens there, they say around about twice a season, a yacht sailing season, out of towners who are actual members of yacht clubs will turn up there in suits and ties and evening wear thinking it is a yacht club and they are horrified. Brilliant. <laughs> Um, they'll either realise immediately what's going on and have a bit of fun with it, or they'll just be disgusted and leave. So, go anus. You see, I actually, I do want to witness that moment. So, that is go <laughs> that specifically is going on the spreadsheet. Okay. I feel like we'd have fun at go anus, laughing at people in formal attire. Uh, are you ready for the next one? No. I don't think you are. It's the Billy Goat Tavern. Okay, here we go. It's in... Chicago, Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> the Billy Goat Tavern was run by a very, very quirky man called William Cyanese, who was also known as Billy Goat. He acquired the bar in 1934 and he soon changed the name to reflect his own nickname, the Billy Goat. Why did people call him the Billy Goat? because he was obsessed with goats um, and he had one particular goat that was his pet that he loved. Um, he'd wandered into the bar that day, the goat, um, and he became his companion and he was in the bar with him at all times. Um, he even grew a goatee so he could look like his goat. <laughs> um, and also he claimed to have put a curse on the Chicago Cubs baseball team when they wouldn't let him bring the goat into their stadium and grounds. Mm. And funny enough, they've not won a series since. There we go. Don't mess with goats. Nope. Billy Goat Tavern. So granted, I mean, this was 1934, so maybe there may not be a goat there anymore, but... 
I'm gonna... I guess if if we turn up with a goat, they can't say anything. Yeah, I'm going to need you to call ahead and book a goat if I'm going to go there. Okay, yeah, done. Done, done, done. Next, Los Angeles Jumbo's Clown Room. Oh, God. Uh, started as a neighbourhood bar in 1970. Uh, it introduced um, some pole dancing in 1982. They pour very strong drinks and they have pictures of modestly sad, sad clowns on the walls. And they allow the strippers to pick songs that they like on the jukebox. Uh, Rumours are that it was started by a former circus clown called Jumbo Jack, who just wanted a regular bar with pictures of clowns on the walls and ladies cavorting. So yeah, strip club with loads of sad clowns on the walls. I feel like that's the the kind of thing we would see on CSI. (laughs) Some sort of of LA crime show that's going to feature on. Uh, I've kept the good one to last. It's uplifting. It's nice. Okay. The Brotherhood of Thieves. It's a bar in Nantucket. Uh, the explanation for the name is on their drinks menu, which I will read to you. The Brotherhood of Thieves was taken from the title of an 1844 pamphlet written on Nantucket by Stephen S. Foster. The pamphlet vigorously attacked those who continued to support the institution of slavery, even as the tide of abolition rose. Diversity and strong opinion have always found a tolerant home on the island. During the Revolutionary War, Patriots, Tories and Quaker pacifists coexisted here and pleaded unsuccessfully for neutrality. A unique spirit developed here, one based on uncompromising independence and strength of character. Today, on Nantucket, the idea of rugged (coughs) rugged individualism, personal liberty and the fostering of eccentricity still exists and continues to thrive. Well done, those guys. That was my fave. Very good. You, I'm not expecting you to put that one on the spreadsheet. I just wanted to finish with that because it felt nice after all the tiki bars and lack of monkeys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's in, in many ways, it's a very young country, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, they haven't got the... Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> uh, anything to add? At literally nothing, <laughs> literally nothing to add to the spreadsheet or the conversation. But what I have done is very much enjoyed smashing through my drink while you've um, entertained me. Wonderful. So I will, I will, I duck out. I will say, and so our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to go anus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's all go anus, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Or land or sea or fall You can always hear me sing in this song Show me the way to go home